Welcome to this Edge Church podcast. We are a people whose mission is to know Christ, be the church, and serve our community. We pray you are blessed and equipped by this message. You know, in praying for our time together today, I really feel like God wants to encourage people in the freedom that is found in the simplicity of childlike faith. I, I, I hope that the Spirit of God just encourages you that, you know, it's not complex, you know, it's not, it's not too hard. You know, it's in the simplicity of childlike faith, you know, there is just total freedom, total freedom. Luke 18, 17, this is the words of Jesus. Jesus said this, He says, mark this, unless you accept God's kingdom in the simplicity of a child, you'll never get in. Wow. You know, in other words, if we're gonna receive the kingdom of God into our lives, it'll only be through the simplicity of childlike faith. Not complexity, not difficulty, simplicity. Because without that, without that, Without that childlike faith, we don't receive the kingdom. I'm not talking about receiving the kingdom necessarily just one day in heaven. I'm talking about today. I'm I'm talking about our ability to receive kingdom grace, kingdom freedom, kingdom joy, kingdom promises. You know, the way that we enter into all of that is just through the simplicity of childlike faith. It's the gladness that we receive through faith alone, in Christ alone, that simple. The simplicity of childlike faith brings freedom. When we have that childlike faith, we have trust in the Father, right? We, we trust that God's got me. Hey, that the, the eyes of the Lord are on me right now. That the ear of the Lord is attentive to my prayer. Come on, if God is for us, who can be against us? Greater is He who is in me than he who is in the world. Childlike faith just says yes. Yes to all of that, that's simple. You know, when we were kids, we were free. (laughs) We hadn't developed the complexities of fear. Five-year-olds aren't waking up, stressing about interest rates and superannuation, healthcare and conflict resolution. They're not waking up thinking about mortgages and and some kind of inflation, midlife crisis, broken relationships. They're not thinking about that. They're thinking, they're waking up thinking, where's the ice cream? You know, nine o'clock in the morning, where's the ice cream? You know, the simplicity of childlike faith, it's total freedom. Man, I wanna live there. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that it's that simple? Aren't you glad that, that, that it's that simple? Childlike faith, where's the ice cream? Amen. This morning, I wanna take a moment to speak around the topic of the simplicity of just one thing. Just one thing. In Psalm 27, we see David, the Psalm writer, who had such a simplicity of childlike faith. He had a free heart, this guy. You know, when you have a free heart, you're free to worship. You're a worshiper. And with all the complexities surrounding his life, which were many, you know, David had a storm of drama that followed him all of his life. Some of the drama wasn't his fault. Some of it was, right? But he had the freedom and simplicity 
of just one thing. <laughs> and if he had the simplicity and freedom of just one thing, well, so can we. We can too. Psalm 27, verse one. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Come on, God by His Spirit is breaking fear, breaking anxiety, liberating people in their heart. Verse three, though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. Come on, spiritual confidence is coming back to people in Jesus' Name. Verse four, one thing, just one thing I have desired from the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple, for in the time of trouble He shall hide me in His pavilion, in the secret place of His tabernacle. He shall hide me, He shall set me high upon a rock. Verse eight, when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I'll seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. Though my mother, so though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will take care of me. Verse 13, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Not, not one day in heaven, today, that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, <laughs> be of good courage and He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord, amen. God, we pray that Your Word would produce life today. God, I pray that the soil of our heart would be prepared to receive the seed of Your Word. God, I pray that faith comes through hearing and hearing through the Word of God. So Spirit of God, do a work in the people of God through the Word of God as we are gathered around it today. In Jesus' Name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Just one thing. David had this simplicity of faith that brought him incredible freedom no matter what was going on in his life. I find that absolutely remarkable. In fact, I would say that's probably the secret of life right there. This Psalm gives us insight into a man after God's own heart. That's what David was known as. What a thing to be called. He was a man that was after God's own heart. He was a warrior and he was a worshipper. In Psalm 27, David talks about these two cataclysmic possibilities in life. 
don't know if you picked them up in what we read there. He talks about two horrific things that could go wrong in our life. He talks about on one hand, even if total war, even, when, even if wars were breaking out and surrounding me. And then later on he goes, and even if my father and my mother forsake me, if I've got this one thing, I've got everything. I mean, even if the, the full, and in that he's talking about the full, full spectrum of human adversity and pain. I mean, he's really talking about the things, the worst of things that could possibly go wrong. In other words, the worst of external devastation, right? You don't get any worse than, than war. I mean, we live in a world right now, we see it in our time where if you were to look at the wars that are going on in this world, whether it's Ukraine or whether it's Israel and Gaza and just the horrific stuff that's going on in wartime, we're a bit immune to it in some ways you'll know that you're talking about absolute physical and material devastation. You're talking about an army that comes after you to destroy you. You're talking about rubble. Everything you built, everything you hope for, a rubble. Uh, your, your, your family captured, taken hostage, dragged away, your very life and the lives, lives of your loved ones at risk, you're talking about absolutely the worst of things. And when it came to war, David had plenty of that in his life. <laughs> On the other hand, though my father and mother forsake me, David here is talking about this other end of, of adversity, which is this formational, foundational need in our lives for loving relationships of nurture and security and significance. Like our parents, our family of origin, in some ways we could also add in there our spouse, our children, our family life, our need for human love and affection for security and self-worth connected to significant relationships. And again, David, oh man, David had his, man, his fair share. Of, he, he had a dysfunctional family of origin, had the rejection of his father, his own family, if you look at his own family, his marriages, his, his love life. <laughs> it's redneck days of our lives back there in the Old Testament, right? It's, it's, it's nasty. He's, so here's, here's what I think is really powerful here. David's saying, should there be the greatest possible external devastation or, or should there be the greatest possible internal, internal, emotional pain and suffering even if either of those things happen or both. If I have just one thing, then every little thing's gonna be all right. Some of you laughed because you know that's from the book of Bob Marley and uh, you're a Christopharian, I guess. But uh, you know, if I've got this one thing, I've got everything. And I just love how, how David's not speaking about this like a theory, he's speaking about this from life. And I love how the Bible is so gritty, how unsanitized and real this Psalm is because superficial faith has this kind of therapeutic approach to God, like God's main purpose in life is to prevent bad things from happening to us. Like the main thing about being a Christian is, is just minimise 
trauma and adversity, that let's just avoid all that and live heaven on earth and get to heaven later and just miss all the pain. Well, well, David says, hey, I don't assume that my parents will love me. I don't assume uh, that I'll come from a good family or have security, have this rich love life. I don't assume success. I don't assume protection and safety. I don't, I don't presume that I'll have endless peace without wars or difficulties. I don't assume to be healthy and wealthy, yet I choose to live with the childlike freedom that says, I just need one thing. And if I have that one thing, I have exactly what I need. So the key to this whole passage in Psalm 27, the key to the Psalm is Psalm 27, four. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord. So here's the question. How do we seek this one thing? How do we, in childlike faith and simplicity, how do we get in on this one thing? Well, in this Psalm, I think David seeks this one thing three ways. It's one thing, but he, he seeks it three ways. He seeks this one thing personally, positionally, and patiently. He seeks God personally, positionally, and patiently. And so can we. Firstly, we seek this one thing personally. The first thing that we learn from this Psalm is that David is seeking a personal experience for himself. Verse eight says, my heart has heard you say, see how God's taken the initiative here? This is God started this. God reached him. God loved him. This is kindness and mercy. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. That's personal. And my heart responds. David recognised there's a leaping in his own heart and he says, Lord, I'm, I'm coming, I'm coming. So he seeks this one thing personally. David senses the invitation from God to seek God's face, to behold the beauty of the Lord. And it's personal. In other words, it's not through other people. It's not through another priest. It's not through the Pentateuch, you know, in their time, they've got the first five books of the Bible. He, he could say, oh, I'm gonna seek God by going to talk to some people or I'm gonna seek God by going to a priest or I'm going to seek God by going to some, some scripture. And, and, and re- no, 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 he, he's saying, no, I'm going to God personally. I want to meet with you. If God is real, if you are here, uh, if you're calling me, I'm coming. And I want a personal experience of God. I I don't want to meet the God that He's talking about. I don't want to meet the God of some podcast. I don't want to meet the God of some some author or some book. I don't want a third-hand revelation of God. If God is real, I want to meet with Him. Come on, is God calling you? Is God drawing you? Is there a work of God in your heart? Come on, don't settle for someone else's revelation of God. Come in to meet with God for yourself. (laughs) It's personal. I find it amazing because he's saying, I'm going to the temple. I'm going in. I'm, I'm going into the tabernacle. You know, he's, he's saying, I'm going in to the presence of God to meet Him face to face and see the beauty of the Lord. Here's the remarkable thing. You know, that was the role of the Levites 
the tribe of Levi. The, the priests had the role of going in to the tabernacle. David, he's from the tribe of Judah. In other words, he's not the priest. You know, if you know your Old Testament story, David, he was anointed to be king. He's called to be the king. But he's saying, you know what? You can keep the king thing. I want the priest thing. I personally want to meet with God. I don't recognise my position as king as something to grab hold of or something to see significance in. You know, you can forget all about that. The one thing I want, I want to be a priest. I want to be in the presence of God. And he enters in personally. He doesn't send someone else in for him. (laughs) You know, we live in a world where people look for position, yet the only position that God seems to care about is our position in proximity to Him. (laughs) David says, ah, I wanna meet you face to face. It's personal. The priests would minister to God on behalf of others. They'd stand in the gap between God and man and most of the community in in that Old Testament picture would would wait at a distance and send the priest in. And and David say, no, 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 no. You can keep the king thing. I want the priest thing. I'm going going in for myself. This isn't, my faith is not someone else's responsibility. (laughs) I'm going into worship. I'm going into the Word. Come on, somebody. I'm going in in prayer. I'm going to experience the presence of God for myself. And, And David, he moves into that personal encounter with God. You know, you can know a lot about Christianity and not live in the freedom of the Christian experience. You, you know, you can know the complexities of theology. You know, you can know some dogma. You can know things about religion. You know things about religious history and still not have the simplicity of childlike faith to know what it is to meet with your father. <laughs> Christianity, I've got to tell you, is not a set of, of beliefs or theological facts. It's a dynamic, life-giving relationship where the Father says, come seek my face. And our heart says, your face is all I seek. <laughs> so we seek this one thing personally. Secondly, we seek this one thing positionally. David seeks God positionally. What do I mean by that? He positioned himself to experience God's presence. He says, I'm going in. I'm going into the tabernacle. I'm going into this pavilion. I'm going in to seek you. I I want to see you face to face. And he positioned himself in God. He positioned himself in prayer. He positioned himself in worship. I mean, he wrote this. He, He wrote a song. He's a man after God's own heart. And he positioned himself in a place of seeking this one thing. Like, are we supposed to just wait around for some spiritual experience to come to us or should we position ourselves in the presence of God? I mean, do we wait? Are there just like particularly, you know, blessed people, lucky people that have spiritual experiences? Like, like are we waiting for some angel of the Lord to deliver a spiritual experience like they're the uber angel of heaven? just rocking up? Are we waiting for one day when we're just driving along in the car and and like the glory of God comes down. It's like the northern lights of heaven are in front of the windscreen and then then the the flames of fire and tongues as of flame come out of the air conditioning ducts. Like, like is it just gonna happen like that? Like some people just get that. 
Are we called to position ourselves in prayer, position ourselves in the Word, position ourselves in worship? I love what it says here that David uses this term to behold the beauty of the Lord. That's, that's very active, you, you know that, right? He's saying, I'm positioning myself to behold the wonders and the beauty of God. To behold means to weigh up, to weigh up the wonder, to evaluate the treasure, <laughs> you know, to examine the glory. And, and, and he finds the things of God stunning because what we behold and what we weigh up is what we value and what we honour in our life. And David's saying, there's just one thing, there's one thing I wanna honour above all else and that's the presence of God and the beauty of the Lord. Holy Spirit, help us to honour, help us to honour and behold Jesus. Help us to see the value of the Gospel. Help us to see the wonder of the cross. Help us to see the power of the empty tomb. Help us to see, help us to see your love and kindness for what it is. Help us to have a hunger and a thirst for you. Help us to be people who worship out of this beholding of the beauty of the Lord. Help us to receive respond out of what we receive. God, help us. <laughs> help us to behold You. You know, we're not passively noticing God in the peripheral, right? We are positionally beholding. You know, today you positioned yourself to behold, to behold the wonder of Jesus. You came to the house of God to hear the Word of God, to, to lift up the name of Jesus in worship. You came to pray, amen. You're positioning yourself to behold God. You know, that beholding so powerful. If, you ever, if you've ever fallen in love, you, you know the difference between noticing and beholding, right? Like you're weighing it up, you're evaluating. There's, there's a noticing, like you can notice a lot of things, but but you know when it moves to beholding. Now, uh, I have an announcement today. I have a confession. In 1994, I fell in love with my home group assistant, okay? So I fell in love with my home group assistant and she's here today. Uh, Dee, Dee, she, she was responsible Dee's my wife, by the way, in case you're wondering who, who this is, but say like, she's my wife, it worked out. Dee was responsible for the pastoral care follow-up of the girls in our discipleship group, you know, with 30, 35 young adults in this discipleship group. And, uh, and you know, she was single at the time. And, and uh, one day, you know, one day something happened. I mean, we were running this thing for a while, you know, and, and, and one day something happened. I went from noticing her, come on somebody, <laughs> to beholding her, right? I, 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 and, and when you behold somebody, it changes what you see. Like it's a casual noticing. I mean, I'd noticed her, she'd been around, like I'd noticed her for a couple of years, right? But, but then noticing became, oh, <laughs> Joe's down here going, beholding, you beholding. <laughs> Young people, you can be holding as long as there's a King James Bible distance between, between you and them. <laughs> See, to behold, 
It was like, I, suddenly there's a, behold her Julia Roberts smile, right? It wasn't noticing the smile, you beholding it. Behold how she laughs at her own jokes before she tells them and her nostrils <laughs> flutter and flare in, in laughter before she said, I mean, I, I kind of noticed that, but, but then when, when there's a beholding, you're seeing a beauty that you didn't have before. Behold the colour of her eyes. Behold the shape of her lips. Sorry, you can't handle this. This is Sunday morning. I, I need to move on. You, you know, you can't handle the truth, all right? So you don't want to hear real truth this morning. When there's beholding, it shifts to beauty. And when that happened with us, you know, I'm like, I feel like we need to get together a little bit more often to talk about pastoral care. And we need to, you know, move into a little bit more pastoral visitation, you know? And so we just, there was a drawing close out of the beholding. So there's a difference between casual noticing. I don't want a casual noticing approach to something as glorious. It's the eternal realities that we have in the finished work of the cross. I mean, if, if God is real, if God is here, if He was near and the, the, the cross has made a way and the empty tomb has brought us a justification. I mean, wow, that's one thing. And David's saying, oh, I wanna behold the beauty of God. And, and, and when we behold, worship is the byproduct of our beholding. It's a fitting response. You know, and, and so in the church, when, when, there's a, when there's a lack of worship, we don't have a worship deficit. We have a, a beholding deficit. We have a revelation deficit. So God, help us to be hungry for the Word. Help us to see You for who You are. Because when we see Him, when we behold Him for who He is, well, you get worship thrown in for free. <laughs> David in this Psalms, he shifts his perspective. He positions himself. He positions himself to go, hey, my focus is positioned on the beauty of God, not the drama of earth. Do you, do you get what he's saying? He's saying, my perspective has moved away from wars, relational issues, mom, dad, my heart, all the things that are going on, which must be tough. I mean, David's in the amplified world, far more than what we're probably experiencing, right? And he shifts all of that to one thing. He shifts away from all those things that look ugly in life. And he beholds the one thing that's beautiful in his life. And we need the Word of God for our worship of God. Behold the beauty of the Lord. And did you see it says, and to inquire. I love that word inquire in the Hebrew, it's bakir. And what that word inquire means in the Hebrew in bakir, it doesn't come across in English at all because in the Old Testament, bakir would, would be what you do when you inquire of a prophet as to what the Word of the Lord is to your time. So think of in the Old Testament, going up to Elijah and saying, what's the Word of the Lord? And you inquire of God. So you know, imagine going up to Samuel, what is the Word of the Lord? I'm inquiring of 
the Lord. And when we position ourselves in seeking God, <laughs> we're inquiring of the Lord. How of you know, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out the mouth of God. And God will minister to us by His Word and by His Spirit. And God has a Word for you right now that you need. And so there is a work that happens when we behold Him, when we seek Him. God God has something to say. He has something to say about your thought life, something to say about your emotional life, something to say about your love life, something to say about your vocation, your education. God has something to say about your future. He has great plans for you. And so we go up to Him and position ourselves in seeking this one thing. We seek this one thing personally. We seek this one thing positionally. And finally, we seek this one thing patiently. Patiently. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord patiently. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart. Amen. Wait, I say, on the Lord. We see God patiently knowing that, I don't know how sometimes, but I just know that we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. <laughs> it's the Romans 8:28. family secret. We know God's gonna get something good in all of this, right? <laughs> so we wait. We wait upon the Lord. If you stand back and look at this whole Psalm, you'll notice something pretty interesting. You know, like verses one to six, David's just so confident. He's like, ah, oh, who shall I fear? You know, I've got this confidence. I look for this, I'm going after that. You know, he's like really, you know, on a good day. And then suddenly in verse nine, I don't know whether you heard this, but suddenly he's like, but don't hide your face from me. Don't turn me away. Don't cast me off. Don't forsake me. Like what's going on? What's, what's changed in this Psalm? <laughs> if you look carefully at the Psalm, you know, what you see is David is waiting on God for all of this, right? He's seeking patiently. Right? In other words, he doesn't have all of this one thing yet. Right? It's all future tense. It's in the future. He's waiting for it. He's saying, uh, this is what I want. And, and if I have that, then I will be. Then I will be confident. Then I'll have my head lifted up. And so he's seeking this one thing patiently, knowing that it's a process in God and God will do the work as he worships his way up. I love how the prophet Isaiah puts it, that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, amen. They'll renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not faint. They shall walk and not grow weary. And often we wonder, well, when am I gonna get stronger? You know, when is life gonna turn? Where's the life gonna come? Hey, when we wait, when we wait upon the Lord, He shall, He will renew our strength. When am I gonna run and not grow weary? When we wait upon the Lord, when am I gonna walk and not fight? Hey, when we wait upon the Lord. 
And so it is a journey of patiently seeking the wonder of God. Musicians, singers, won't you come? We're gonna wait on the Lord this morning in worship. I'm praying for an anointing of God on this house that we would wholeheartedly behold the beauty of the Lord (laughs) and seek His face. David says, I'm going in. I'm going to see the beauty of the Lord, going into this tabernacle, looking for this one thing. But then he freaks out. Don't, Don't hide your face from me. Don't turn your servant away in anger. Don't leave me, don't forsake me. Why is he freaking out like that? Well, you know, when Moses had this encounter with God, and he says, you know, unless your presence goes with us, you know, I'm not leaving. And so show me your glory, show me your presence. He had this meeting with God and God said to him, you know what, if, if, I, if you saw me, if you saw me in all of my awesome holiness, you would die. I mean, you couldn't even handle me in my awesome holiness and perfection. You would see your unacceptability, your lack, your unholiness. You, you, would, you would die. So what does he do? He hides, he hides Moses in this cleft of a rock and he says, I'm gonna pass by and you can't handle all of me, but I love the King James Version. I'll show you my back parts. God showed His back parts to, to Moses. In the, in the you know, rabbinical tradition, it's like, you'll see where I've been when I pass you by. You can't handle all of me. When Isaiah was in the tabernacle of the Lord in the presence of God, it all sounded like a really good place to be in until he experienced the sheer, holy, terrible glory of God that revealed his sin. And he, he, he says, I'm undone. The glue of my life has collapsed. And he falls to his knees and he says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm not worthy. I'm not compatible. I'm not acceptable to be here. And God has to send an angel to touch him with a coal from the altar and purify him from his unrighteousness. So, so there is this thing, this, this sneaking suspicion that can we come close to an awesome holy God? Are we worthy? I think it's John in the book of Revelation sees God and he fell down like a dead man. So how do we approach God? How can we meet with Him? In some ways, that's what we're seeing here in David. David's realising deep down this spiritual disease that we all have. Now we've had ever since the fall of Adam this curse of sin. And because of sin, we can't go in to the holy presence of God. So, so deep down, we've got this thing going on in our half, like, you know, God's not into me. You know, how dare I even consider approaching a holy God? If God knows how flawed I am, how failed I am. Then it's the fear of never being acceptable before a holy God that keeps us at a distance from approaching Him. Yet in verse 10, David suddenly says, hey, even if father and my mother have forsaken me, the Lord, I know the Lord will take me in. 
And by the Spirit of God, by the Holy Spirit, because all Scripture is God-breathed, right? It's breathed by the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Somehow, by the Holy Spirit, David has what I would call this messianic intuition. He has this redemptive suspicion (laughs) that a greater son of David is gonna come and make a way where there's no way, that this redemptive seed that he's carrying all the way from the first garden promise, the gospel promise in the garden, this promised seed that would come through the woman, that a Saviour would come and this Saviour would take everything that is wrong and make it right again. He would bring us back into this relationship with a holy, awesome God. David somehow knew through the Holy Spirit that in spite of his own unworthiness, his unacceptability, (laughs) the Lord will take me in. God will never forsake me. And this is the beauty that we have in Christ. What David saw in black and white, we see in HD colour. We see as finished work. When we behold the beauty of the Gospel, this good news, it's something that we can know fully that there was just one person who was perfect and acceptable before this holy God. Just one who was the perfect son of the Father. And he experienced everything that David felt in our place upon the cross. (laughs) David says, I deserve to have your face hidden from me. I deserve to be turned away. I deserve to be forsaken. But the greatest son of David, Jesus, upon that cross, the perfect son, the perfect servant, upon that cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because on that cross, He became sin so that you and I could be the righteousness of God that's in Christ Jesus. He's the one who took all of the punishment that we deserve. Christ was forsaken so that we would be taken in. Christ lost the face of the Father so that we would always have the face of the Father. Christ was thrown out of the city gates so that we would be welcomed home. Jesus was forsaken so that we would never be forsaken. That's why Scripture says, never ever will I leave you. Never ever will I forsake you. His perfect love cast out all fear. And now we are acceptable before a holy God. Not on the basis of whether, we're, whether we've had a good week, but on the matchless, precious work of Christ upon that cross. We can hear the voice of the Father say, seek me. And our heart says, Lord, your face is all I seek. And we put our trust in that finished work and His perfect righteousness is imputed, given to us as a free gift, as if it were our own. And now our lives are hidden in Christ. And when we enter with that simplicity of childlike faith and we come into the Father, 
The father just says, this is my son whom I love, whom I'm well pleased. You know, because we are now hidden in Christ Jesus. We can come in and experience this one thing. All over this place, won't you stand to your feet? Christian life isn't about duty. It's about beauty. <laughs> All of the Christian faith is just a response to something. It's a response to that incredible wonder, that divine beauty and grace that we have in Christ, that finished work. He is the one thing. So what does that mean? Well, it means that we most gloriously behold the beauty of God in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He's the one thing. And when we behold Him, when we honour Him, when we weigh up the wonder, we realise wars, drama, emotional pain. I know the simplicity is, I need just one thing. And if I have Him, I have what I need. Amen. David says, everything else in my life could fail, but if I have this one thing, I have everything. Wars around me, emotional challenges, relational tremors can shake me. There's fears and anxieties that try to grip me, but they don't define me because there's just one thing. And if I have that one thing, I have everything. So today, God is calling, I believe it by the Spirit of God, God is calling, God is drawing, and to use David's word. God, when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face is all I seek. Did you hear His voice this morning? Would you open up your heart to hear the voice of God and respond? Say, your heart is all I see. Come on, let's respond in worship this morning in Jesus' Name. Thanks for joining us today. Find more resources and discover what's next for you at edgechurch.com.